It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And welcome on into another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Schusterman, and we are returned back after Thanksgiving. It is December. The winter meetings are soon. and uh, But more importantly, my, my fine friends of MLB Pipeline, Jonathan Mayo, Jim Callis, it is draft season. Is it draft season, Jonathan? Is that, is that fair to see? Are we already in draft season? <laughs> I feel like, sure, it is, you know, because our draft 100 is is out. Uh, but I would I would say that we nestle our uh, our draft 100 in the valley between the two peaks that is the summer showcase circuit and the start of the spring season. I see. So we are we are in that that critical valley. Uh, and 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 Mr. Callis, uh, which is is that is that a fair uh, characterization of where we are in the, in the draft cycle? Yeah, no, I think it is. And we kind of do our list this time of year, uh, every year, you know, right before the winter meetings uh, to kind of set the scene going into next year, you know, and, and then we'll, we'll kind of start focusing on our minor league prospect list. <laughs> It'll seem like uh, 24-7 for several, several months going forward between we'll have our top 100 list come out in January and, and then start working on all our team top 30 lists as well. But no, it, it's, we, we kind of set the tone for 2020 now, and, and obviously we'll revisit it a couple times in the spring and, and be covering it uh, very extensively then. Right. So this episode is going to focus uh, heavily on the the uh, the latest uh, top 100 draft list that you guys have just just released. You, can, you guys can check it out on MLBPipeline.com. Uh, and and before we get into uh, to some players and some names and maybe maybe even an, an early mock draft, uh, Jonathan, the the actual hot stove season will affect the draft in some ways, and we already have one example of that. Uh, so do you want to uh, quickly touch on how uh, the competitive balance picks are going to to kind of shift around uh, as as you know, guys with the qualifying offer are going to be signing over the next couple of months. Right. Uh, so it, I just found out the, uh, the competitive balance uh, picks um, today as we're recording. So I'm not going to dive into that, but there will be eight picks in competitive round a <clears throat> after the first round and then six picks after round B that flips. Um, there is going to be a new team a different team in there. Um, so that's interesting, but uh, in terms of how the qualifying offer works, in this case, it's actually not going to be a competitive balance round pick that's lost, but the Giants offer gave Will Smith a qualifying offer. He's already signed with the Atlanta Braves, and I'm fairly certain that means the Braves forfeit their second highest draft pick, which in this case would be pick number 63 in the, in the second round. Um, uh, so, you know, with each qualifying offer, that changes the draft order a little bit. And then those, those uh, competitive balance round picks are tradable. So don't be surprised if, say, while we're at the winter meetings uh, or, or in ensuing deals, you hear about trades that uh, involve some of those picks added on uh, in, in, in trade uh, talks and trade confirmation. Right. And those are, those are sometimes, you know, significant picks that are, are, you know, top, 
top that turn out to be top prospects. I know the Mariners acquired one of those competitive balance picks. I believe there was a pick traded in the Alex Claudio deal uh, a couple years ago. So, in fact, you can trade draft picks in baseball. Some people don't quite realize that. Uh, so, uh, but Jim, uh, let's 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 actually let's you know let's start with the the mock draft. Uh, the the I guess you just have the, just just the top ten. Uh, I imagine you're not going too deep into round one uh, when we're this far out of the draft. Um, but as as we look at the the latest top draft top one hundred, uh, there is a discrepancy between who is at number one and who you have, uh, I believe, at number one in your mock draft. Do you want to kind of explain that difference? Yeah, sure. I, and the, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, the Tigers have the number one overall pick, just like they did in two thousand eighteen, and in two thousand eighteen, our top rated prospect on draft day was a Southeastern conference right-hander who had big time stuff and all kinds of polish. And it was Casey Mize and he was the obvious choice. And now <clears throat> number one on our top 100 that's coming out, uh, there's another Southeastern conference right-hander with that kind of stuff and polish in, in George's Emerson Hancock. But if you look at the Tigers farm system, it, it's much, much stronger in arms with, with Mize and Matt Manning and Tarek Skubal and, and many others and they're kind of thin in terms of bats, you know, last year's, you know, number five overall pick Riley Green, notwithstanding. And so not that you necessarily pick for need, but because their farm system is so tilted one way versus the other. And I really feel, and you know, Jonathan, I mean, don't you kind of feel the top three guys on our list are somewhat interchangeable between Emerson Hancock and Arizona State first baseman, Spencer Torkelson and Vanderbilt shortstop Austin Martin? Yeah, I think that uh, th- those are the three, and it's going to depend on how, you know, uh, A, how they perform, and B, again, I agree with Jim, you're not drafting for need, but, uh, you, you know, what you decide what flavor you want, yeah. uh, I think. Else. I mean, Emerson Hancock's really good, but we're not talking about – you know, this is Steven Strasburg or Mark Pryor or somebody like that who everybody's saying is head and shoulders above everybody. It's kind of a big three. You know, we have Hancock one, Torkelson two, Martin three. And so I think the Tigers would be more apt to go for a position player. And I had them taking the more multidimensional Austin Martin who can kind of play anywhere you want to on the field. And he led the SEC in hitting an on-base percentage last year. There's a lot of similarities between him and former Commodores shortstop Dansby Swanson, who was number one overall pick as well. So I had them taking him over Spencer Torkelson, who's probably the most dangerous all-around, you know, just hitter in the draft, but is likely a first-base-only guy. So I, I had the Tigers in my mock draft going with Austin Martin, uh, at number one instead of Emerson Hancock, who's number one on our list. And Jonathan, do you, I mean, do you lean towards any, it sounds like we're in agreement that that is a very clear tier uh, at the top with these three uh, college players. Uh, do you have a preference towards uh, either of the three if you were the one uh, uh, making the pick? I don't know who you lobbied for to be the number one guy on this list, so maybe you can. <laughs> I mean, it, it, we, we were we were in agreement um, in sort of how we lined it up. Uh, you know, if I weren't the Tigers, I think you know Jim's arguments all, all make some sense, and it, it may still end up being that let's say it goes out, you know, the, the season starts, and Austin Martin's okay, and and Torkelson, you know, puts up numbers, but he's really a first baseman only. He's like this year's Andrew Vaughn. Um, that doesn't mean he wouldn't be in the conversation. And Emerson Hancock goes out and is by far and away the best pitcher in college baseball. He's uh, Steven Strasburg, the, the not same 
grade wise and 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 repertoire wise, but he's very very good, and he's so much better. Then I think if you're the Tigers, you you got to take who is the best guy, even if you've got pitching. You know, I've heard that you can never have too much of that. Um, but you know, so that said, I, I kind of like what uh, Jim did with the with the mock. You're know, going for the the guy playing the position of the of the top three, given what uh, the you know, the state of the Tigers. Yeah, I think is. that's I think that's a fair uh, fair assessment. And of course, we are still uh, six, I guess, seven months out uh, from from draft day. So we've we've got plenty of time for these these players to kind of sort themselves out and the teams to sort out their draft boards. Uh, but so we talk about we kind of identify this top tier of three. Uh, but let's take a kind of a bigger look at this draft class. Uh, and Jim, I'll go back to you here. Um, what is what is the strength of this draft class? Is, is is this a strong class overall? Is there one position that you think it's very deep that could go uh, into the first or second round where you're still finding guys? Um, or and and what is what are the weaknesses uh, of of where there's maybe not as many guys uh, that are that are going to be hard to find? So uh, what are some of the characteristics of the 2020 draft class? I think as a draft, it, it, you know, overall it's kind of your typical draft. I, I don't think it's thin. I don't think it's outstanding. I think it's, you know, just a decent draft. Um, to me, the strength, and it's in sharp contrast to last year, would be the college pitching. Um, last year, it seemed like we really didn't have any college pitching. There was, you know, no, no college pitcher. One college pitcher went in the top 10, and that was just as at the number seven pick. There were only seven in the first round out of 34 picks. And, and in my mock draft, I had five college arms in the first 10 picks. And I think there's 10 more arms at least that will draw first round consideration. And, you know, you know, typically a couple guys get hurt and some other guys emerge, but I think the college pitchers and maybe it's because it's in such contrast to last year stand out to me the most, you know, the weakness to me, maybe, you know, I don't think it's like, it's like, I mean, there's some depth to it. There's not that – there aren't those standout high school position players, you know, like your Royce Lewis, you know, where you're like, oh, man, that guy's going to go really good. I, I just don't – I think all of the high school position players, you can kind of poke holes in them, uh, you know, a little bit, um, you know, without having to try real hard. You know, at least there's a, a question that you have about each of them. I mean, we are, our top-ranked high school position player is Austin Hendrick at number 10, who's got great power. Um, and I saw him hit for great power on the showcase circuit. And I also saw him really struggle to make contact against curveballs and changeups for a lot of the showcase circuit. When I saw him, um, you know, you go on Ed Howard is more kind of steady than spectacular. Robert Hassel, you know, is probably the best pure hitter in the high school group, but you know, his swing kind of got uphill when he, when he made a, con- a concerted effort to try to hit for power in the middle of the summer. And there's some guys who don't think he's a center fielder. The Jordan Walker has upside, but, you know, is still kind of raw. And you could go on and on and on. So there just aren't, like, any real can't-miss, you know, high school guys like, like those Royce Lewis's or Bobby Witts or C.J. Abrams. You know, this class lacks those type of guys. Yeah, I'll, uh, I, uh, I would agree with that assessment. They all have question marks. Uh, I also feel you know, it's hard to like knock high school pitching because that's always the the highest risk category. Uh, and you know, often, you know, once we get to June, even guys that we had highly uh, are uh, kind of get pushed down and college performers move up. And I think, given that the strength of this draft is college pitching, I had a scouting director. I'm uh, working on the you know on the main story with the top one who, who predicted. Uh, and maybe it's conservative, 15 
guys in the first round. That's you know, so that would be half of the half of the of the of the first round. You know, the top thirty picks would be college pitching. So that it plays to that strength. But the high school pitching is we have two high school pitchers in the top ten. One is Jared Kelly, and I think everyone you know from Texas and permission agreement he's the that sort of fits the description of the high school kind of stud slam dunk is going to go well the next guy right after him is mick abel from from oregon who was really really good at the start of the summer jim and i both saw him in the pdp league but he tailed off at the end of the summer so while i think everyone likes him and expects him to be a guy there's a little maybe a, a hint of hesitation with him and then after that there is a drop-off, um, a considerable drop-off in high school pitching. The next high school pitcher after those guys in the top 10 um, is Carson Montgomery at number 30. Um, so, you know, th- there's a huge drop-off. Now, I think the high school class wasn't helped by two things, pitching class by two things. One, Nate Savino, who would have been the top high school lefty and one of the top high school pitchers in the entire draft, opted out of the draft. He wants to go to school. Um, and then the other thing is uh, the fact that Dax Fulton, who would have been the next high school lefty and would have been, you know, pretty high on the list, uh, blew out his elbow and has had Tommy John surgery. So removing two, two, uh, the two top high school lefties in the class and not removing Savino was removed. Dax Fulton's at number 36, but that definitely impacted what was already not. Yeah, that's a good point. And it really is wild seeing the contrast compared to last year. I mean, that's kind of leading into the 2019 draft. That's all we talked about in this podcast is where is the college pitching? Now the idea that we could have half the first round being college pitchers is definitely uh, a difference. Uh, now I want to talk about uh, maybe some of the guys that that have raised their stock the most since you know, the beginning of the summer, of course, there's a reason you guys are updating this list now. And I think Jared Kelly is maybe a good place to start with that. Uh, but who are some of the names that that really, as you were talking to scouting directors, talking to sources, talking to scouts, uh, really boosted their place up this list from, say, the beginning of the summer to where you uh, uh, put them in now? Uh, Jim, I'll start with you. Um, I think the two guys who jump out the most to me are both college guys. Um, and here we're going to test you uh, real quick, Jordan. So look at the number number 18 guy on our list, okay. the pitcher from South Carolina. Oh, boy. All right. How would you think you would pronounce his last name, which is M-L-O-D-Z-I-N-S-K-I? How would, how would you think that would be pronounced? Well, I hope all of our all of our listeners are playing along here, uh, because if you're just hearing Jim spell it, it, just looking at it is kind of intimidating. I I, I think it's Lazinski. Well, no, it's not. But it's a good. It's, it's, it's a better guy. It's Majinski, and I don't see a J in there. Oh, I, I don't see a J in there anyway. Anywhere, but yes, it's Majinski. But, uh, anyway, oh, no, this is this is like a Coach K situation. This is this is bad. Okay, exactly. It's it's Carmen Shashevsky of South Carolina. No, Carmen Carmen Majinski of South Carolina. I think did more than anybody over the summer. He he's the, he's the pitcher who jumps to mind. And that's because I mean, here's a guy who who people were hoping for big things of. He he was the best high school prospect in South Carolina three years ago, but he made three starts last year and broke his foot, and that was it. He was done, and so he didn't pitch really. And he went to the Cape Cod League, and he was the best pitcher, best pitching prospect in the Cape Cod League. 
was was 92, 96 with his fastball. He's up to 99 in fall practice with sink and run. He, he's got a little slider, a little low 80 slider with power. Um, he showed feel for changeup. He's a guy who never really threw strikes in, in two years at South Carolina, but he had a 40 to four strikeout to walk ratio on the Cape. And guys want to see that he can maintain that stuff and throw strikes like that over the course of the SEC season. But if he does, I mean, he's he's probably going in the top 10 picks somewhere. And then the other guy. I think more kind of uh, justified, you know, how good his numbers. But, you know, Nick Gonzalez was a guy who in New Mexico State, you know, which is a great place to hit because of the altitude in the conference. He led, you know, NCAA Division One in hitting, and I think he was second in ops and put up these great numbers. And they went to the Cape Cod League. And he almost won the Triple Crown. He was the MVP. And he showed that that his numbers weren't just a, fa- a product of, of his hitting environment. And I think people are now looking at Nick. And, you know, we talked about how there's clear top three. Nick Gonzalez might be the clear top four, you know, top guy on the second tier right now. And I think guys are looking at him as a more athletic version of Keston Hira. You know, with Hira, we knew he could hit. You know, I, I still don't know if Keston's ever going to be really that good of a second baseman. Yeah, I think he can get by there, but but Nick, you know, Gonzalez is is a solid to plus runner with some some better athleticism than Hira. So uh, you know, uh, Keston Hira alone would be a guy I'd want near the top of a draft. But if you give me a more athletic version, okay, uh, like I'll sign up for that. Wow, I was I was gonna say, and Jonathan, before before we uh, go to you here, that that's that's the best anyone's ever sold me on Nick Gonzalez. I, I'm 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 very impressed now. Uh, I. I'm I, I like because I remember seeing his numbers this season and thinking this is crazy, but I know that's New Mexico State. Um, but I guess uh, I guess it's more legit. Uh, Jonathan, are there any names that that stand out to you? Maybe some that I can actually pronounce. <laughs> you could have pronounced Nick Gonzalez. That's true. That's an easy one. That wasn't uh, that wasn't that hard. Uh, I, I think the guy and you know people should keep in mind the Jim and I uh, split up the country. Um, I pretend that we split it in half, but I always make sure that he has more guys on the list than me. Um, so, so I have less work to do. Um, and that happened again this year. So it, my plan keeps working. But I think the guy that jumps out the most to me uh, is Zach Veen, um, the high school outfielder from Florida. And I think for for a couple of reasons, you know, I th- there were – other high school outfielders who were, you know, more famous or or had, <clears throat> you know, shinier stars heading into the summer and perform as well. And Veen was not, it's not like he was unknown. None of these guys were, you know, at this point, aren't, none of them are unknown. They played for, you know, a, a, on all these events for a long time on a classroom and things like that. But he really had a very good summer and may have been the most consistent high school performer all summer from start to finish. And he's got, uh, you know, he's got some, some serious um, raw power. Uh, I think he's got, you know, the, the ability to hit, he's a good outfielder. Um, You know, he's kind of, you know, comps, uh, I'm not a big fan of comps, but you know, for, if you want to go to the Florida high school, right. He's a slightly not as fast Kyle Tucker. Um, not that he's got like a weird setup and things like that, but just in terms of the, uh, a lot of offensive upside and things of that nature. Um, but he's the guy that probably was someone at the start of the summer. And, and, you know, I, I'll be the first to admit, it's not like I'm done. You know, I do, a um, a ton of pre, uh, a draft 
work on the next year's draft right away. But he was not a guy who was, oh, I know about him, uh, like a like a Pete Crow Armstrong, who was huge as an underclassman, played on you know on the 18U national team as an underclassman, a, a guy like that. Um, but he he is someone who I kept hearing about, and then we put him on, and then we send out the list for feedback, and pretty much universal is we don't have him high enough, and that's why uh, you know we ended up running him up to to number twenty two on this list. Yeah, I think that's uh, Veen is is a good name again, also one I can pronounce uh, very easily. Uh, so I have to have to appreciate that. Um, I also got to say, guys, I I mean. <laughs> Vagin. I think it's really Vinge. We got to just throw the random Carmen Vajinsky J in there somewhere. I got to say, uh, this, this write-up for our friend Carmen, we have to include the pronunciation. I, it, it feels... It's in the video. It's in the video for you. What he has to put in there is that if you say his name backwards five times, you disappear. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, now now I'm, I'm scared to ask about any of these other pronunciations. But uh, let's move to, 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 to the back half of this list. Um, obviously, uh, there are a lot of, a lot of fun names here. Um, some that I can pronounce, some that I can't. Uh, let's let's maybe project it into the spring a little bit. Uh, if you guys want to want to pick a name in in the second half of this list that you think could be could be in the top half, uh, come maybe not even come drafted, but maybe come you know end of end of end of March, end of April. Uh, who could you see uh, really shooting up this list uh, come come springtime? Uh, Jonathan, I'll I'll start with you. Hmm. hmm. I'm going to say that I will pick Isaiah Green. Uh, he's a high school, uh, high school outfielder from California. Uh, and again, this is a guy who kind of jumped on the map a little bit late, um, performed well kind of late in the summer. And then uh, there's a, an Angels Elite event um, at, at the Angels Stadium that's in the fall that uh, to give some context to last year's uh, draft to uh, Keone Cavaco. Um, is it Cavaco or Cavaco as we're doing pronunciations? I've already forgotten. But the Twins' first round pick um, jumped on the map there, and Isaiah Green did uh, much of the, of the same thing. And uh, this is a guy who, you know, had been identified as, you know, kind of raw, toolsy, very athletic outfielder. And then in some of these events started showing up um, and performing well against really good competition. Um, I think he also performed well when like the U S trials team or when the U S uh, national team was getting ready for international competition, he was on a scout team and he squared up their pitching as well, uh, as well. So he's starting to figure it out. And if he comes out in the spring, you know, in, in, Southern California and, uh, and perform and continues to perform well, continues to put those tools into production. I think he is going to uh, make a, a nice jump up in that direction. I have a guy who's kind of in a, in a similar vein. <clears throat> that would be Notre Dame right-hander Joe Boyle, who's, who's number 57 on our list. And, He's a guy who I don't know if you remember him from the showcase circuit uh, when he was in high school, Jonathan. But he, you know, six foot seven guy, you know, you know, really projectable body, and he wasn't a factor in the 2017 draft because he opted out because he wanted to go to Notre Dame. Well, he didn't have a lot of success throwing strikes. 
even though Notre Dame really struggled, he only pitched 27 and two-thirds innings in two seasons. Now, they have a new coaching staff, and I heard probably for every scout I talked to about how they couldn't believe how the previous coaching staff buried him. Like, why wouldn't you at least throw this guy as a midweek starter to get him innings because you might have something there. I mean, he's 6'7", 240 now. He hit 102 miles an hour in the Northwoods League after his freshman season, 101 at the ACC tournament this year, 101 again in the Cape. Um, and, you know, I think he probably has the best fastball, the best pure fastball velocity in college baseball in this draft. He can sit in the upper 90s for several innings at a time. He's got riding action on, the, on that four-seamer. He's got a, a really hard slider. Doesn't have much of a third pitch yet because he – he really hasn't pitched, so he's going to have to develop a changeup. I mean, he's got an intimidating frame. Um, pitched, you know, ha- you know, pitched a lot better on the Cape, and, and I think if he continues to make progress, he develops a third pitch and continues to show that kind of velocity and can throw strikes, then then that guy's easily going to go in the first round. Like right now, I would, I would, we we kind of have him lined up in the second round. But if I had to, you know, you're talking about guys with upside. If like Jonathan said about Green, if Boyle comes out and uses his pitching tools and has success, he's going to fly up draft boards. And, and teams that like, you know, young players too, he, he was young for his class to begin with. He'll, he'll be, I think he'll be, he won't turn 21 until two months after the draft. So teams that look at that, there's, you know, and, and also you look at the whole, you know, low mileage on the arm, you know, if he comes out and has success next year, he's going to go really, really good. Yeah, that's a great one. I mean, the upside also comes with a ton of variance. This feels like a guy that either he's just going to revert to not throwing any strikes and go the third round, or he'll fly up and go in the top 20. Is he, do we know if he's, he's just, he's going to start? He's, was he starting on the Cape? I, I believe, I believe he did some, I believe that the, the idea would be to start him. Um, they, they are, Notre Dame's not deep enough. Yeah, you know, sometimes the really good programs, you have a great arm and you're like, like for instance, you know, it's not really fair to compare anybody to Vanderbilt. The guy who did not make our list, is Tyler Brown, who's Vanderbilt's closer. And I was talking to, to a scouting official in club. And we we're both saying like, he'd probably, Tyler Brown will probably start for any other team in the nation and be a second round pick. If he got the chance to start, but because teams aren't taking co- pure college relievers as high as they used to like Tyler Brown, just wound up missing the cut for our list. Cause we were talking about the, I mean, you got Kumar rocker. Who's going to be probably the number one pick next year, at least is the favorite right now for 2021. You have Mason Hickman, who's been a very consistent performer for Vanderbilt. He's got to be in rotation. I don't think Jack Leiter turned down $4 million to go pitch relief at Vanderbilt. you got to feel like he's going to be in the rotation. And they also have a lefty named Jake Etter, who we have number 36 on our list, who's going to have to be in the rotation. One of those guys is going to have to be a midweek starter. So Tyler Brown's not going to not going to start. And like, So Joe Boyle at another school, you might roll out and say, hey, we're just going to – go fastball slider and let him destroy you in the ninth inning. But I have to think Notre Dame, which has really struggled to compete in the ACC, is going to begin the year with him in the rotation, hoping that he can kind of level the playing field for him. Not a lot of 6-7 throwing 101 in any form of baseball, let alone college baseball. So Notre Dame might have something uh, very special on their hands there. Uh, I want to ask about uh, a couple specific guys who who people may have become familiar with uh, this summer. Um, uh, because they were in the, the, the PDP league and then the, the high school home run derby, or I guess was, was Blaze Jordan in the league or was he just in the derby? I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting. Uh, just the derby, just the derby. Sorry. Uh, but Blaze Jordan who reclassified, uh, so that he could be in this, uh, in this draft, uh, who's a, a high schooler in Mississippi uh, and AJ Vukovic were the, the, the two guys that got to hit homers in a big league stadium, a full big league stadium, uh, during the home run derby. Now, 
these guys are both on the top 100, but they're a little bit farther down than you might expect for guys who are kind of high profile. I'm curious with Blaze Jordan, is this really the ceiling for him? Like, what can he possibly do in the spring to move farther up this list? Or is this kind of the ceiling for him as far as, as where he could be drafted or, or end up on draft boards? Jonathan, what do you, what do you think about Mr. Mr. Blaze? Um, you know, it's interesting because in both of their cases, um, and I'll, you know, I'll let Jim talk about Vukovic uh, a little bit more, you – you have guys with tremendous raw power and questions about whether or not they'll hit enough to get to that power. Um, and you know, everyone saw the power during the home run derbies and that's all well and good and it's legitimate. Um, but we've all seen guys with ridiculous raw power who never hit um, and, and how they struggle, you know, when the, in the pro game, we'll have to wait and see. Now, the thing with blaze Jordan is that that was, he had like sort of hurry up and catch up because he classified and then suddenly started trying to you know go to as you know as many events as he as he could. So I think he was a little behind. Um, w- normally, you know, d- depending on where a guy's from, I would say, all right, let's see what happens come the spring um, and how he performs against you know competition. And if he if he's hitting consistently, then uh, then maybe he'll, he'll he would move up. You know, he's showing that he can tap into that power. Playing in Mississippi, it's a little bit tough. You know, the, the high school baseball in Mississippi, it's not Southern California or Florida uh, in one of these like really high octane elite level leagues. So he may not face, say, premium velocity or really good breaking stuff all the time. So it's going to be a little bit tougher. I, I don't know, Jim. I mean, in some ways, I'm not going to compare him to Joe Adele because Joe Adele had all these other tools. But in terms of answering the questions about the swing and miss, you know, you had to go and watch Joe Adele play high school competition in Kentucky. I wonder if there's some similarities there just in terms of how do you evaluate if a guy like Blaze Jordan in, in Mississippi or A.J. Vukovic in Wisconsin, you weren't even going to get to see much of him, uh, you know, how do you evaluate the the hit tool in their senior years of high school? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the way you evaluate it is what you saw during the summer. And obviously, with Adele, people were light on him. I mean, he 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 was a much better hitter than I think a lot of scouts thought he was, and and he's proven that. You know, Blaze is interesting because you know I, I do Mississippi. I talked to a lot of people about Blaze even during the summer, and Blaze is probably. Blaze is probably the most famous high school prospect in this draft, but and 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 then fifty three is definitely not his ceiling because he could go in the first round if if people buy into the hit tool. But the difference between him and with Vukovic versus Adele is, you know, Adele even if Adele didn't quite get to all his power or hit as much as you hoped, there are other tools there that can help you win. If Blaze doesn't hit. Blaze isn't helping you win ball games. I mean, he's got huge power. I mean, it's big exit velocity. There's strength. There's loft. Um, there, there's size. I mean, all, all the power is very impressive. But he swung and missed a ton during game competition during the summer. And as Jonathan alluded to, you know, how much of that do you attribute to? All of a sudden, he was jumping up a year in class and facing different competition. Um, you know, he's very impressive in a home run derby setting. You know, unfortunately, 
you don't play home run derby in in pro baseball. I mean, you, you do at the All Star game, and that's it. And so the hitting ability is a question. The, the other question on the Blaze is, I think people are probably ninety five percent certain, even though he's gotten in in better shape, and that he's a first baseman. That he's probably not a third baseman. It's not a great body. He's not especially quick. Um, he's probably going to be a first base only. So again, you're talking high school first base only right-handed hitter, that's a tough profile. And if you look at the history of Mississippi high school position players, guys who signed out of Mississippi high schools, it's bad. It's really, really bad. The best one ever is Charlie Hayes. And I don't even know who the second best one. It's it's not very good. I mean, Billy Hamilton, you know, has got a decent amount of war because of his defensive ability, but Billy Hamilton can't hit either. Um, so that, that's a concern. And with Vukovic... Kind of the same things along the same lines as 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 Blaze. I mean, it, it's big time power. There, there's some swing and miss concerns. He struggled a lot on the showcase circuit at times. He's got a better chance to play third, but there are a decent amount of evaluators who think he's first base only. I think other people, I don't think anybody really thinks AJ Vukovic is going to stay at third. I think you have some guys who think they moves well enough that you could play him in the, on the outfield corner, and it's probably you know, fairly split between guys who think that and guys who think he's first base only, but he's got more athleticism than blaze. But both those guys, you know, have to make you feel better about their ability to make consistent contact to get to their power. And, you know, as Jonathan said, I mean, against Wisconsin and Mississippi high school competition, that's hard to do at least not the team's draft based off of demographics, but at least Wisconsin, if I'm looking at recent memory, you know, Gavin Lux, Jared Kalanick, Dalton Varsho. There have been some pretty good hitters that have come out of Wisconsin recently. Not that that means that A.J. Vukovic is going to be, but I think Blaze is going to have to battle that. There's kind of a stigma that, you know, Mississippi high school hitters just have been a very bad demographic historically in the draft. So, you know, those guys are going to have to basically be great all spring to, to go higher than where we have them ranked right I think uh, I think Blaze will benefit from a hot start from fellow DeSoto Central High School alumni Austin Riley. I think if Austin Riley really comes out of the gate swinging for the Braves, maybe that'll help Blaze's draft stock. But I agree, there's, there's some interesting uh, comparisons there. Uh, before we get out of here, I love love the draft talk. Uh, I encourage every all of our listeners to go check out the Top 100, read the capsules. You will learn a lot. Check out Jim's mock draft. Uh, we'll have plenty more draft content coming soon, but I did want to hit on one piece of news uh, before we get out of here. This was a, a trade that went down just before Thanksgiving last week and involved two uh, recent top prospects. I guess they both graduated. Now, I, I'm not as interested in the Eric Lauer and Zach Davies part of this trade, of the Padres Brewers trade, but Trent Grisham and Luis Arias are, are somewhat, I would say, divisive prospects uh, in, the, in, the, in the prospecting world or, or were at the time. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, trajectories of their of their careers in the minor leagues. So I wanted to get your takes on this, uh, Jonathan. I'll, I'll start with you. Um, it's kind of kind of a fun little challenge trade between these two teams that are both going to be trying to win uh, next season. Uh, do you have a preference between the two? I knew Arias was always uh, kind of high, more highly ranked, but Grisham seems to have a much better hold of the big leagues so far. Uh, so any, any thoughts on that deal? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I still believe in Luis Sirius's ability to hit. Um, you know, he's still only 22. He's such an advanced hitter and got there so fast that I think people forget that. Um, and you know, he, he kind of rode the shuttle a bit last year. Um, so 
and it's not, I know it sounds like I'm doing that just to sort of cover my own rear just because we ranked him so highly and didn't rank Grisham. Um, Grisham was fine, you know, but it's not like he didn't set the world on fire. You know, uh, we're not talking about a guy who had a, you know, thousand OPS when he was up, he was okay. You know, so I, I if you're going to sort of compare them head to head, I still would believe more in in Urias's ability to to hit if he can if he can find a place to play. Um, I actually just answered a an inbox question about the the sort of limbo guys, the guys who are no longer prospects who haven't established themselves who could break out, and I put him on that list. So I you know I uh, I, I think he's going to hit. Uh, I, you know maybe he ends up the Brewers' second baseman. Um, he may he could compete compete with Arcia for shortstop or he could move around and be a super utility guy. But I th- if I'm the Brewers, I didn't trade for him not to, to get that bat in the lineup. And I think if you just send him out and let him know he's going to play. I think he's going to hit. It, what was interesting to me <clears throat> about those guys um, is that if you told me a year ago that that, 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 that trade would get made and, and you're right. I mean, Davies has done a little bit more at the big leagues. Lauer's got more control. But if you were going to tell me that Urias was getting traded for, for Grisham, I would have said there's no way. Because especially at this time, I don't think Manny Machado had signed with the Padres, for one. Uh, he hadn't. Um, and two, Grisham was about the one of the worst players I saw in the Fall League in 2018. I don't know if you remember him, Jonathan, but he was, he was really bad in the Fall League. He hadn't changed his swing back to his kind of unusual uh, golf grip that he used in high school. That, that, that he had a lot of success with. But Grisham was, was just flat out terrible in the fall league. And I never would have thought, I'm losing my voice here as I answer this question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I'm looking at it. He went nine for 60. I, I think Tim Tebow did better than nine for 60 in, in the fall league. And Grisham slugged 233. And then he was so spectacular in the minors. So, like a year ago, I would have said, there's no way this trade would have happened. I, I, I'm with Jonathan. I understand why the Padres made it because with Machado. And with Tatis, and, you know, and Ernest, you know, I guess could have fit at second base perhaps, but they needed outfielders more than they needed infielders. So I think it was somewhat of a need-based trade as the Potters are maybe looking to win now. I still believe Ernest is going to hit. I think he got a little messed up trying to hit for power last year because, you know, especially in AAA, he did great um, in, in not Reno, um, in El Paso is what I'm trying to say. And I think he kind of lost his identity at the play a little bit. I'm not sold that he's a big, I think he can play an average shortstop, but I don't think teams really want an average defender at shortstop, if that makes sense. And with Hira at second, I think the the Brewers are going to play him at short. Um, but I, I still going forward, if I had to bet on which guy I think will be the more productive big league hitter, I would go with Urias over Grisham. So if it were me, I like what the Brewers got out of this trade a little bit more than the Padres. But I do think it's pretty close. And I do think I can see from each team's perspective why they would yeah, have made I the think trade. That's really, I, I definitely I think maybe overrated or overstated a bit uh, how well Grisham did at the big league level uh, statistically. But he, he really turned, as you mentioned, I mean, his prospect status had, had all but evaporated coming into this season. Uh, so the fact that he would even play up to the point where he would be worth including in this swap is, uh, is notable uh, to me. One quick point, John. I, I just looked, guys, to, to be clear. Trent Grisham, when he was in the AFL, 535 ops, I believe. 
Tim Tebow, five thirty-eight. Well, so I was sure not wrong. Padres fans are excited to know that they just <laughs> traded for someone who is worse than Tim Tebow in the fall league. But he's a different player. He's, he's, he's a totally different guy now. But that's what I'm saying. It was exactly. just like you could not. You would have if you told me. I would if you'd gone back, but we went back a time, and you're like, "Hey, Jim, you think uh, Padres might give up Urias for Trent Grisham like a year ago this time?" I would have just been like, "Come on, that's the most ridiculous question." That's like asking me if Tim Tebow just deserves to play in the big leagues. The answer to both of those is no. But but here we are a year later. Right? You, you would have been like, you, you would have been like Trent who? <laughs> Forgotten about oh, completely. Oh, that's true. Wow, there's so many levels of of the confusion there. Um, yeah, but that's right. I think that's that's why I find it uh, uh, intriguing too, because it's it, it, it turned around uh, in a hurry. Uh, all right, gentlemen, this has been a pleasure as always. I look forward to seeing you both right in person next week in San Diego. Yeah, um, correct. I, I will be there, so uh, you guys can only avoid the Rule Five fever. Uh, for so much longer uh, but until then thank you guys for taking us through the the latest draft top 100 again recommend you all check it out on mlbpipeline.com for jonathan mayo and jim callis i am your host jordan schusterman and we will talk to you next week